best day of the week. College football recap and preview, focusing on the draft eligible quarterbacks. This show is brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek and FanDuel. More from them later. But first, check in with my co-pilot for these draft shows, Alex Barth. Alex, how are you doing today, brother? And since this is technically a Patriot show, if you got any thoughts on the current quarterback situation, controversy, whatever the hell you want to call what's going on right now, feel free to share. Yeah, how's it going, Taylor? It's, you know, fitting that we're going to come on here and talk about quarterbacks because, look, I, it, 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 Mac Jones seems to be past the point of no return. Setting up for them to bench him, there was a report from the Boston Herald that, that he's spiraling, and you can see that in real time. And, it can be so tough for quarterbacks. And, and I'm somebody who obviously believed in Mac Jones at the beginning. And I do think the issues with him are more about uh, his setting than him mm-hmm. personally. I do think it's more of a, a, a nurture thing than a nature thing with him. But here we are. It's looking like they need a, I, I'm not saying that it, I was struck today, like, oh, Mac Jones is the future. And then today he gets pulled to practice. Oh, no. But it's another one of these days where it's like that reality setting in of they're going to be back in that quarterback carousel this off season. And I, it, it's going to be the draft. Like I know some people yeah. have floated the idea of Kirk cousins, 36 years old, coming off a torn Achilles. There's no future there. You don't have any talent around him to maximize the current window. Like, no, thank you. They got to go to the draft. Maybe you go get a guy like Baker Mayfield or Jacoby Brissett is like a bridge guy, but no, mm-hmm. the next, you know, true franchise quarterback for the Patriots is coming from the draft. And uh, the consolation, I guess, if you want to call it that is, if there is a year to need a quarterback, this is it. Because the last two years mm-hmm. in the draft haven't been great draft classes. This is as good of a class as we've seen since that 2021 class, with fee- which obviously didn't turn out as well as we thought it would. But in terms of your options, in terms of the number of prospects, you're going to have more chances to kind of hit. You're going to have mm-hmm. more darts to throw to kind of try to hit and find that next quarterback. Yeah, it's unfortunate too, man. And this is like the whole Mac Jones experiment really emphasizes how this offseason needs to be focused. Like there are plenty of holes on defense that need to be addressed as well. But offensively, they cannot, whether it's Jacoby, whether it's almost definitely a a rookie quarterback that they take in the first round, that guy needs to be set up to succeed with the offensive line and with his weaponry because what they've done for Mac Jones in his first three seasons – is pretty much malpractice. And yes, he's exacerbating issues. Yes, he's spiraling and all these things. But it all starts with the organization because he is a young player who needed to be guided in this league. And unfortunately, we're seeing uh, that that was not the case. But this is a happy show. We just had to acknowledge the fact that, you know, we're probably going to get a shakeup at quarterback for the Patriots just to underline how important it is to be up to date and have some idea what's going on with these quarterbacks. So we're going to start with our recaps. First guy we're going to take a look at was Bo Nix. It's a big, obviously, rivalry weekend. Played Oregon against Oregon State. Now, Bo at 33 for 40, 367 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, it was another one of those kind of Bo Nix performances where a lot of the throws are just kind of things, that, you know, underneath, really just doing his job, not making bad decisions. I did like that I saw him use his legs a little bit. You know, he ran some. He had a couple of throws on the run. Showed doesn't have great arm strength, but he can get the ball there. He had one across his body. Um, and then I thought he had a couple of nice tight window throws uh, and one nice layer throw. He had a couple of defenders in the area and lofted it to his guy. So what did you think about his performance? And did it sway you one way or the other in terms of where he could get taken? I think more what we've seen from Bo Nix, there was definitely a little more of a playmaking element from him in this game, but he's still, I think that ceiling is capped. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, it's a lot around the line of scrimmage through 12 games. His average depth of target is a dot is seven yards. That ranks 37th among qualifying quarterbacks eligible for this year's draft. So yeah, I, I think more what you, you, you saw from, I think the uh, selection committee, saying that the part of the reason they have Oregon over Texas is Bo Nix completion percentage is absurd. That is insane. Uh, it, it, <laughs> yeah. They, they, the two reasons they gave were, were Bo Nix's completion percentage and that they beat Oregon state. And look, I think Oregon state's a, a good team. I do, but if the only two qualifications for making the playoffs are a high completion percentage from your quarterback and beating Oregon state, then we need to talk about Arizona mm. as a playoff team. Shout out to jet fish. But I, I, this is this week, and we'll get to this week. I think is bigger for Bo Nix. It's that redemption shot against Washington. He continues to do what he needs to do. I, I, I don't know that there's so much, and, and the numbers are obviously good, but again, a lot of it's after the catch, things like that, scheme touches. 
I I need to see him go out there and really sling it again for him to go over the top and really seal himself as a first round pick. I it, again, I don't want to spoil too much getting ahead, but like again, it's all near the line of scrimmage. What I still need to see from him is, and I don't know why more teams aren't doing this. Teams step up, take away the the inside stuff, take away the go routes or take away the short stuff, take away the go routes, and force him to test the intermediate deep parts of the field over the middle. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen and that so far. Yeah. Right, and, and a lot of that is just because of the other playmakers Oregon has, and Oregon has a lot of great playmakers. And it's not just Knicks you're trying to stop. Obviously, we're talking the context of the draft. These teams are trying to win games. But I wonder if that's what Washington's going to do this week, if that's how they're going to play and really get some pressure on Bo Nix. So we'll see. But again, another good performance from him. I, like he's, he's up there for the Heisman. I don't think he should win it, but he's up there for the Heisman. He's doing what he needs to do. He really hasn't had a bad game at all this year. And in a year that has been a roller coaster for a lot of these quarterbacks up and down uh, Nick's and, and, and Michael Penix, the two quarterbacks we'll see Saturday night or Friday night have been the picture of consistency. And I think you value consistency in a quarterback mm-hmm. and that might be Nick's best trade at this point, but the, the top end playmaking stuff, it's just, if it's there, he's not doing it right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tough to kind of give him, put that check in the box for him which is big when you're talking about the modern game. You want quarterbacks that are going to go out there and not just distribute the ball, but be playmakers. Yeah, especially if you're talking about a guy who's going to come in and be expected to kind of carry the franchise. Because a rookie quarterback is not going to be perfect, but you at least want somebody who, okay, if they do miss their first read, if the protection breaks down, like if something does go wrong, whether it's because they're young or because something else fails them, you'd like them to be able to succeed outside of that structure as they find their way in the NFL and start to learn what they can and can't do, as opposed to like a Mac Jones type where obviously, you know, the processing and all the things he was praised for in college, they showed up his rookie year and that's why he was able to have success. But then we saw as the pieces around him started to deteriorate and the system around him, obviously last year was dog poop. (laughs) I almost said the other thing, but you know, when those things are against him, he couldn't really do anything more. And that's not his fault, but you'd like to see somebody who can elevate themselves. And it's why, for me, Bo, like quarterbacks always have, you know, um, their their value is heightened just because of the quality of the position and how important it is. And right. with a guy like Bo, for the reasons you said, I just don't think he's a first round guy. I think he's like fringe second round. And that's just because he's hyper consistent. And you're like, OK, I pretty much know what's going to happen if I plug him in. But and again, because it's just a position where you need a guy and some teams are just going to be pretty desperate, I'm sure he'll get picked earlier than that. But if we're talking like what he brings to a team, I do not think he's a first round quarterback. And again, I think second round is generous and only because he doesn't have glaring red flags. So the only way I see Bo Nix going in the first round is, and this is the kind of team that should take him anyway, but I look at a team like San Francisco that has all the pieces Mm -hmm. in place. Maybe they don't want to pay Brock Purdy. Maybe they know, hey, in two years, we're going to have to move on from this kid and let's just get the next guy ready. And maybe two years, a little bit of run runway, a little bit too much runway, especially with the guy as old as Bo Nix. But like a team like that, or maybe if the Jets trade back up and they say, hey, look, we've got these receivers. We've invested in these receivers. We have a good defense. If Rodgers doesn't come back from this Achilles, we want a guy that we can plug in. Bo Nix is basically the guy that if everything else is figured out, you're good. You can plug him in and be comfortable that he's not going to make a mess of mm-hmm, your offense. Exactly. That he's going to get the ball to the guys he needs to get the ball to. So the thing is, the teams with a ton of talent usually also have a good quarterback. There's not that many teams. I don't know, Taylor, maybe I'm missing one. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but how many teams? It, there were a couple the last few years that it was like, okay, they're a quarterback away, and it feels like they've all gotten quarterbacks. Maybe the Falcons – you know, if you really believe in Drake London and Kyle, Dix, yeah. you say, all right, we're we're going to plug Bo Nix in here into the, the Arthur Smith offense. Where it's a lot of play action. It's a lot of, you know, just just get out and deliver maybe something like that to kind of, you know, Geno Smith's on the older side. All right. We got DK Metcalf. We got JSN. That's the kind of team that should be looking at Bo Nix. If you're now the they, Patriots yeah. Yeah. where you still have so what are you plugging Bo Nix into? That's he's not real. And most teams picking high in the first round, they have other needs. So again, for me, these are the kind of teams that did I look at for Bo Nix. Could one maybe get eager and move up and get him at the end of the first? Yeah, I think so. But to me, that's like a, a, a day two pick. 
Now that you said Arthur Smith's system, he's, I'm starting to think he's kind of like a uh, safer but less exciting Ryan Tannehill. Where, like, I think Tannehill has a better arm. I think he's a better athlete. Obviously, yeah. he's play wide receiver. But he kind of has a brain fart every once in a while where you're like, dude, literally, like, you just had to not mess up. And you did. Whereas I feel like Bo Nix, again, not as electric. I'm not going to necessarily say Tannehill's electric. But in right. terms of athleticism, he's not quite there. But I think he is a bit safer. I think moving when oh, you go yeah. – mm. Sorry, you go back to like when when the Titans were kind of breaking out with this group, and that would have been what like 19, 18, 19, right? Yeah. When Derrick Henry mm-hmm. was was on the ascent, and they had Tannehill. Remember Tannehill was like in the MVP conversation there for a couple of years. That was a was wild, yeah, that was a wild time in football. <laughs> such a perfect fit. Like I'm a, like that to me is like what you want with Bonex. Like that yeah. to me, he can be that guy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. You mentioned Michael slide, Penix. It's not me saying Bo Nix is going to win an MVP, but it's like if you put him in the right system and allow you to <laughs> Important distinction. They went, they, they went to the playoffs. They came into Foxborough. They beat the Patriots in the playoffs. They knocked off the Ravens. And then the next year, they were the one seed. And, like, ultimately, did they ever win a Super Bowl? No. And some of that was because of the cap on the quarterback. But, again, that's just the kind of thing I see Bo Nix doing where it's a good run game. He's got a couple good receivers, right? A.J. Brown was there. And he's just going to kind of, he's not going to get in the way of it. He's not going to get in the way yep. of anything. He's going to he'll add a little bit, but the biggest thing is he's not going to get in the way. Agreed. Score early. This NFL season with FanDuel. You know it's America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Look, if you're not good at math, you, you even, you know, that's a good deal. I mean, I'm not good at math. and I, I know that's a good deal. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use, so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off your NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, here we go, folks. Now pay attention to this. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, mentioned Michael Penix Jr., so we're going to talk about him. Had, by his standards, you know, a pretty meh day. Rivalry game against Washington State. Went 18 for 33, 204 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Now, this was, I I felt like in terms of Penix, I didn't think this was a game where we really saw anything. Similar to Bo Nix, where there wasn't anything that was, oh, wow, I learned something from this. It was more like I'm looking right now. He had a couple of pretty wide open shots. His interception wasn't his fault. He was trying to fit it into a tight window, give his guy a chance. His guy didn't capitalize on it. Uh, But, you know, he made some of the throws he had to make late to make sure that they were able to win the game. He had a nice throw to Roma Dunze for the touchdown. And there was a sack late in the game. You know, I kind of was iffy about his ball security there because it looked like he was a little loose with it. But, again, for me, it didn't really move the needle one way or another. It's like, yeah, it was Michael Penix. It was, a you know, a tough game. And I don't know much about Washington State's defense, so I'm curious what your thoughts were on the fact that this was a 24-21 to game. So it was, you know, it was a competitive one against a team that, as far as I know, I don't think Washington State's ranked. So what were your thoughts on his performance there? Yeah, well, just just rivalry week as a whole, and I meant to say this before the last game, uh, these games are always close. It it, it really mm-hmm. doesn't. It sounds like a cliche. You throw out the records. It really doesn't matter. You saw Alabama go toe-to-toe with Auburn. Georgia struggled with Georgia Tech. Um, mm-hmm. Oregon and Oregon State were close. I mean, those are two better teams. But, like, this is just kind of what rivalry weekend is. Now, this, this mm-hmm. they're not always all so close like this, all coming down to the wire, but they're not your typical, you know, one team has eight wins. One team has four wins. And eh, it's going to be a little closer than that. Usually it's going to look a little closer mm-hmm. uh, on Penix. So I talked about the consistency thing. Yeah. I think Penix has been super consistent still. This might've been his worst game. I did really like the, the throw to Adunze. I thought that was, mm-hmm. you know, textbook him. I don't know what they were doing late in the game. So they, they have the ball five minutes ago, tied at 21. They're driving down the field. He does make a really good read. They ran this kind of weird, read option where 
off the handoff, he like flips the ball behind his back to Odunze <laughs> yeah. on a fourth and one. I don't know if you saw yeah. that play, um, which which is a great read by him and a ballsy plan. I love that. But then, all right, they're like well in field goal range against a tie game with like a minute and a half to go in there. He's making these really aggressive throws and he should have been picked off once or twice. He just wasn't would have been game losing interceptions. Probably. I, I don't know if there's something up with the kicker or whatever. Um, I don't know why they were calling passes in that situation to begin mm. with. Uh, but when they were, you'd like to see him, you know, look, show, uh, handle the ball a little better. I wonder if maybe it was a, make a last case for the Heisman thing. And they wanted him to throw the game winning touchdown kind of a stat pad, whatever it was, it was weird. And I didn't like it. Now I'm not going to let that undo the whole evaluation of the player, but it was for a guy that I think has been very composed to see him make some of those issues decisions late in that game was very odd. I don't mind the whole thing at the end where like he couldn't watch the field goal. He's an emotional guy. We know that. Uh, I, I've said this before. I like my quarterbacks play with emotion. Mm-hmm. Penix plays with his heart on his sleeve. That's great. I love it. It's awesome. Uh, that sequence at the end of the game, though, was weird to me. I, I I didn't love seeing that. Yeah, yeah. And especially with a guy like, you know, you think about someone who's kind of emotional and first thing that comes to mind because of recent history is Caleb Williams and like going up to his parents after the game and all that. Um, and I'm not saying anything against Caleb, but with Penix, I think, yeah, you see that he doesn't want to see it. But like you said, most can be good for a quarterback, especially when you see how much his teammates rally around him and what his presence is like on the field. So that isn't super, uh, I would say alarming as a sign, something that's maybe notable if you're really trying to like get through the weeds and find like your start splitting hairs is there's a whole phrase for that. Um, but yeah, definitely a weird situation late, but, um, I mean, the body of work has been very good. Um, and like I said, I personally didn't see anything where I was really alarmed or thought that I should really move the needle for him one way or another, but you're talking about how rivalry games are close. Not to undermine you, but I'm going to talk about a game that was not close at all. Texas versus Texas Tech. Texas Tech, 57-7. to Now, this is one. Quinn Ewers went 17 for 28, 196, touchdown and interception. Archie Manning came into the game uh, because it was 57-7. to uh, But did you see anything from Quinn Ewers? Because obviously, you know, he wasn't a catalyst for a 50-near 60-point game. But what did you see from him in uh, the time that he was on the field? Yeah, he's coming back from that injury. I think he looked good. I think it's just a good sign that he got back on. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that's now dealt with injuries, shoulder injuries, two years in a row. So for him to come back, for him to throw the ball, uh, I'm I'm more interested to see what he does this weekend. The, the interesting thing for me with yours is the the decision. So it's been reported that he's going back to school. For him to do that, then come out and play. This is a guy that that's you know still trying to win national championship, still trying to win a Big Twelve championship, all that. I, I, just, I just like the mentality of mm-hmm. it. I like the mentality you see that he went out there and, and after a rough season dealing with injuries, uh, probably not even when he's healthy, the performance level he wanted, he expected, the team expected. He's still out there putting it on the line. Yeah, yep. All right, not going to spend too much time on that one. All right, next up, we got Michigan State versus Ohio State. Michigan won 45-23. to J.J. McCarthy went 12 for 24, 263 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, showed off some of his athleticism. He made some plays with his legs. I think the throw that people were really praising him for, the touchdown down the seam, I didn't love that because it seemed like he was trying to move the safety. Safety wasn't biting. He throws it kind of blindly knowing that he's about to get hit. And the safety, as soon as the ball gets let go, turns around. If the guy just stands there, it's an easy interception. So I saw that getting a lot of praise. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about all that. It was a tight window because he made a bad call. Uh, But for the most part, it seemed like he had a pretty solid performance. He did have some nice throws in the game as well. Uh, What did you think about how he played against uh, tough defense? It was better. I mean, everybody knows that my thing with McCarthy is that Michigan's hiding him. They let him throw the ball 20 times. So that's more, it wasn't the, the Penn State game, yeah. right? Where he threw it eight <laughs> times. Um, I, I, he, he made some nice throws again. You see that potential, but like you mentioned, there was a good chance there for that to be, be an interception. There's another throw. A lot of people are talking about where he's rolling to the right kind of blindly throws back across his body. It's completed, but that's not a throw you can make as an NFL quarterback. Yeah. So still looks very raw to me. I, I do wonder, look, I, he led them down late for the touchdown and that showed a lot of poise for a young kid. And I think that answers a question we had about him that we, we, you know, maybe didn't have the answer to before, but 
I still think he needs to go back to school. He's still very raw. His footwork was kind of falling out from under him at times. Um, there were some questionable reads in that. Uh, I, I still think he's a, a project quarterback. Now we'll see what he does this week against Iowa. And again, we'll get to that. But um, and one other quarterback note from this game, Kyle McCord, who was a top recruit at one point, uh, sucks. This is not good. Uh, Ohio State needs to get a real quarterback in the transfer portal so they can come back and beat Michigan because uh, Kyle McCord's not going to. Yeah, Marvin Harrison did his very best. He had some freaky he was like, awesome. alien, what you'd expect. Yeah, he was fantastic, yeah. man. He had some crazy catches in that game. All right, last but not least, the moment I'm sure a lot of people have been waiting for in the chat. I've already seen his name pop up. One of my guys. Wait, hang on. Before Jaden- your grand reveal, there's one more guy I realized I forgot to ta- uh, text you about that we got to talk about. Not All a draft. Right prospect but i want to mention him um uh i don't know if you watched the iron bowl taylor you saw i was traveling i was traveling yeah it was tough uh, i'm sure i'm sure you saw how alabama auburn ended oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i did not and, see the uh, whole game but I, it would have been impossible yeah. to miss <laughs> jalen milrow we, we kind of talked about him a couple weeks ago it's like yeah he's gonna go back to school is his future as a quarterback what is it the way this kid has grown from getting yeah. benched in mid-September to what he did against Auburn last week. Uh, again, I, I would be shocked if he comes out this year. He still has a lot of development to go. But, boy, can he, he – he's a, he's a legitimate dual-threat quarterback now. He mm-hmm. wasn't – nobody was respected his arm earlier in the year. He wasn't really giving them a reason to. Uh, I, I think getting benched really helped him. I think he got a week to reset his mind to kind of hone his mechanics. Uh, just got to give a ton of credit to the game Jalen Milrow played. And what a throw to win the game on fourth and 31 yeah. or fourth and, and goal from the 31. Uh, I, I just, I, I got to give him his flowers because he was, it, it's been so much fun to watch him, uh, you know, these last couple of weeks. Does he remind you of another former Alabama quarterback who was benched and then came back and showed a lot of grit to have a, a great performance and a great career afterwards. Mac Jones. <laughs> no, um, I see you're talking about Jalen hurts. Yeah. I actually, I think he's a better athlete than Jalen hurts is. I don't know that Jalen yeah, hurts has that's the speed and the elusiveness. Um, yeah. He doesn't really remind me. I, I, you talk about he's not, not as a prospect, not as a prospect, more in terms of like oh, the mental makeup yeah, and like being able to yeah, bounce I back in that regard. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts, that was a, a, a big deal for him the way he came back. So at, yeah. after that national championship game. So yeah, actually, I'd, yeah, I'd buy that comparison. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think that at that point in his career, uh, Jalen Hurts was a better passer. And like you said, I don't think he was quite that athlete. Um, but another guy who I think mentally, at least in the, uh, his ability to grow and develop uh, on a pretty rapid pace, Jaden Daniels. Eight, yeah. uh, 16 for 24, 235 yards, four touchdowns. That was passing. Running, he had 11 carries for 120 yards, a 10.9 average. Uh, everybody already knows he's a dual threat. He really showed it. Now, I will say this was a game against Texas A&M where I thought early on, I just didn't see a lot of NFL quality plays with his arm. You know, I didn't see like a ton of anticipation. Granted, I'm watching the broadcast, so it's hard to really know. But I wasn't seeing like a ton of anticipation throws. I wasn't seeing any really challenging plays or anything like that. He was making stuff happen with his legs. But then in the fourth quarter, they were just like, all right, yeah, we're going to give you some goal balls. Just sling it. And that's where all the touchdowns came from, and that's where they started to find some juice. Uh, what did you think of this Jaden Daniels performance? And as he is in a race for a Heisman, maybe the front runner right now after that performance, what did you think? And do you think he really does deserve to be as high in the Heisman uh, debate relative to that game as he currently is? Oh, yeah, he, he should win the Heisman. He's been outstanding, and it was cool to kind of see him settle in and kind of have that rough start and bounce back. Cause there's been other guys like Drake may Drake made a rough start this week and we didn't get to him a ton. I didn't think he was great. I thought he had another down performance. Yeah. Drake may didn't start great. And he, it snowballed on him. Mm-hmm. whereas Jaden Daniels. And that's a game that, I mean, Texas A&M just fired Jimbo Fisher, right? They're, they're bringing in a new head coach. I could understand how else you might overlook that game or at the very least it's a tough game to prepare for. So I get it. He came out a little slow. Um, Bounce back in the second half. Yeah, it's not uh, Texas A&M isn't the most talented team, despite all the money they spent on NIL. Uh, or if they are talented, they're not using the players right. But mm. it, it's an SEC defense. It's a top half of the SEC team that he tore up. Uh, yeah, he he was outstanding again. The the I talked about it before, like the he's the anti Bo Nix, where 
that a big play potential is just, there's so much you just drooling seeing uh what he can do if he's put in the right situation in the nfl and he flashed a little bit more of that so um again i see people in the in the chat talking about his size that is obviously the chief concern yeah. you know his size and just does he take care of himself he's very reckless when he runs the ball in terms of taking tackles rather than going out of bounds or sliding but no he's been I said this year has been a roller coaster for a lot of, of quarterbacks. And I mean that in like a lot of guys are not where they were when the mm -hmm. season started in terms of draft expectations. Jaden Daniels has his draft projections hardly been consistent, but it's just constantly. I mean, it's shooting up. It's yeah. just shooting straight yeah. up and it continues to do that. Yep. Yeah. Real quick. Dane Brugler came out with his first mock draft yeah. At number two, he had the Patriots taking Drake May. Now, if you listen to the uh, athletic podcast that he does with Nate Tice, they were all talking about Jaden Daniels and how he is shooting up draft boards. Like, the explosive plays that he's accounted for are insane. Again, like, I compare him to Hertz because Hertz is someone who every single year of his career has taken significant strides where it's like yeah. it's a completely different person. And Jaden Daniels, you know, a lot of the talk is the same thing where even when he was at Arizona, was it Arizona or Arizona State? I'm getting the mix. Arizona State. Arizona State, that's what I thought. Uh, even in his last year there, you started to see him make strides. And then at LSU, he's not turning the ball over as much. He's still making the big plays. So in that kind of conversation, because I'm having this debate in my head, do you take Drake May considering that everybody just kind of agrees, it seems, that he and Caleb Williams are 1A, 1B? Or are you in the uh, the mindset of this kind of where I'm at, where maybe, honestly, if you get a two or three pick, you trade back to the end of the top 10, maybe even top 15, depending on where Jaden Daniels is projected to go, try to get some more capital and then get him there because he's still a really good prospect. And because the Patriots have so many holes, I think getting more capital is probably ideal for them. Yeah, so I, I think the idea of do you trade back a couple spots, take QB3, then trade back into the first round and take a tackle or receiver in that mm -hmm. second tier, I think that that's a real conversation. What I would add to that, though, is is Jaden Daniels QB3 or is he QB2? I think that's there's the a thing. real chance. I think by the time, we, yeah, by the time we're all said and done, that Jaden Daniels passes in the eyes of some teams. I don't know that every team will see it this way, but all it takes is the team with the pick, right? Mm -hmm. Um the big thing is going to be when we get to the combo. So the senior bowl would be a big one for Jaden Daniels and honestly, Drake may, he should probably go because he just hasn't had that performance since a good defense yet. We need to see him throw against top players. But when we get to the combine, does Jaden Daniels put on 10 pounds mm -hmm. between the yeah, end of the like season and, the combine. and then yeah. if he does that, right. Yeah. If he can get up to two, even two twenty, even if he puts on five pounds, but I'm saying, like, if he's listed at 215 in college, he's probably 210. Yeah. <laughs> which we'll get the real guys usually weigh in less at the combine. But, like, if he can come in at 220 at the combine and still run, you know, there's been unsubstantiated reports he runs a 4 4. But I don't I know how realistic four, that four, is. Eight. Is that what I texted you that he probably runs a 4 4 8? I think so. Yeah. Let me let me say that if he can get to the combine at 220 and run a 4 6, it's going to be, there's a real conversation mm -hmm. about him and Drake, Matt. Yeah. A real conversation. Now, we just don't have those numbers yet. And yes, two fit, playing quarterback at 215 in the NFL is a big ask. Especially, odds are a team drafting him doesn't have a good offensive line. He's going to get hit a lot. Yeah. But yeah, if he can bulk up a little bit and still show he's as athletic, there's going to be real questions about him and May because... Right now, I think Drake May's floor is a little higher. The ceiling's comparable. Yeah, I do I believe the ceiling on the two is comparable. There's just a little less bust potential with Drake May because of his size, and I think the pedigree is part of it. Drake May was a five-star recruit, originally committed to Alabama, all of that. Jan Daniels, this guy that's, you know, he's kind of had a journey, five-year college player, had a transfer, multiple college coaches. That's sort of what's setting them apart right now. Jane Daniels comes in and shows he has, you know, can physically hold up to the NFL and interviews well. Yeah, he's going to be right there with Drake May. I agree. And again, I, I need to watch y'all 22. And that's been my thing is I'm trying to get my hands on enough tape that I can definitively really see these guys as quarterbacks, not as athletes, not as guys with arm talent. Yeah. Like I honestly like arm having a good arm is great. 
Obviously, everybody wants somebody with an arm. That just doesn't do it for me. I need to see how you play the position, how you process the game. And from what I've seen, Jaden Daniels, in terms of like consistency and using his athleticism as a bonus rather than a crutch, I think that it's like him in a class by himself. And then it's like Caleb Williams and Drake May as guys who are more physically maybe I wouldn't even say more exciting because, like you said, Drake May, I think, is comparable. Uh, but, yeah, I absolutely agree that he could really sneak up and make it a conversation. Uh, before we get to the previews for next week, we're going to send it over to our friends. As a self-proclaimed Swifty, I have been dying to see Taylor Swift perform in person, but I'm going to have to do so at a reasonable price once the season's over. And to find the best deal on Taylor Swift tickets, I use today's sponsor, SeatGeek. With over 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticket app. There's more than 70,000 events every single day on SeatGeek, including concerts, sports, festivals, and more. I actually used SeatGeek last year to see a Clippers game with my girlfriend. And with the NFL, NBA, and NHL seasons in full swing, you don't want to miss out. And SeatGeek has your tickets to every single game. Plus, artists like Travis Scott are on tour right now. They put all the tickets across the web in one place to make sure you're getting a good deal. Every ticket is backed by their buyer guarantee, and SeatGeek is the only site that lets you return your tickets ahead of the event with swaps. And you know I came through for you guys. Use my code DREAMERSPRO for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with promo code DREAMERSPRO. Make sure you click the link in the description to download the app. All right, so for next week, championship week. First one we're talking about, Oregon versus Washington. Now, this is going to be fun, little rematch action. What do you got? So I I like Washington in this game overall. I think when it comes to the quarterbacks, I kind of talked about this before with Bo Nix. Can he, 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 so I said his A dot for the year, seven yards per attempt, seven flat. Uh, Against Washington in that game, it was six. So I need to see him actually test this defense a little bit. And I think the Washington defense should force him to do that. Hmm. Come up, take away the short stuff, put your speedy corners on the outside against Troy Franklin, take away that, that nine route, that goal ball and see if he can hit you on cut routes over the middle and the intermediate and deep parts of the field. If he does that. Okay. We need to re-examine Bo Nix a little bit. Um, hmm. I, I just think that's kind of the story for him. And I'm sure Oregon wants to come in and, and run the offense they've been running. Can Washington take that offense away? And if they do, how does Bo Nix adjust? That is the story of this game to me for Bo Nix. For Michael Penix, he's already beat this defense once. He beat him pretty good. Can he beat him mm-hmm. again? And especially, you know, it's it's what's at stake here. If Washington wins, they're going to make the college football playoff. Oregon, we'll see. Like, they could get it. If Washington wins, they're going to make the college football playoff. So he probably gets a shot against the Georgia defense or the Michigan defense, like what this is all about right now from a draft point of view, I'm not saying this is how necessarily these guys view it, but this is how we look at it. Taylor, I I say this a lot. I want the tape against the good defenses. I don't care what they do against these sub 100. I I don't care what uh, uh, Michael Penix did against Arizona state. I don't care what Jaden Daniels did against Vanderbilt. I don't care what, what uh, you know, Drake may did against, I don't even remember if they played Pitt, but Pitt, like these bad Unless teams, it's right? like egregiously bad. Unless it's egregiously right. bad against bad teams, it's like, all right, whatever. That's you nice. can't win against bad teams. You can only lose as a prospect. You can't yeah, win against bad right. teams. You can only lose. So can Michael Penix put himself in a position where, yeah, if he if he gets to go against Georgia and he has a good game, that draft stock's going to keep going up, right? Same goes for Bo Nix, but again, Oregon might get in with the win, might not. We'll see. Michael Penix, can you go out Big game. You don't have a home field advantage this time. Neutral site. I Vegas has Oregon as a nine and a half point favorite, which is mind blowing to me. Can Oregon win this game? Yes. What? Are they going to win by two scores? That would be genuinely surprising. I think a lot of people are caught up in the Oregon mystique right now. The I know where I'm going with my money. Right. So That's... exactly. There's a lot of weird lines. We'll get I'm to really some. There's a lot of weird lines in these games. Okay. Can Michael yeah. Penix you... come out? Prove that what he did against Oregon last time is repeated. Oh, and that's the other thing I meant to say this. You don't always often get to see a, get to see a college quarterback face the same team twice in a season. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously something you have to do in the NFL. And we talk about this a lot in the NFL with the rookie wall. Once teams get tape on a guy, it becomes a little easier. 
can Michael Penix beat a defense for a second time? Can Michael mm-hmm. Penix beat a good team for a second time? You're talking about these are things when when we go and we debate what's going to be right now. Looks like we'll see where Daniels ends up at that second tier of quarterbacks. Daniels, Penix, Knicks, McCarthy, maybe Ewers. These are the kind of things they're going to set him apart. You know, NFL teams are going to be like, look at what he did the second time a defense saw him. Look at what he did in this big stage in this neutral game. If he gets a chance to get against Georgia, hey, look at what he did against Georgia. Look at what he did against Michigan. So for Michael Penix, it's not so much this game can help his stock. It can, because again, facing that team for the second time, but he can get himself in a position to really accelerate his stock with a good performance in the college football playoff. Yeah, so for Bo Nix, this is like you can legitimately, you know, make yourself some money, actually move yourself up. But yeah, I, I think for Penix, like you said, it is a nice test to see how he does in that kind of environment. But it's going to be more like the cherry on top because I feel like we pretty much know what he is. All right, next up, we got Texas versus Oklahoma State. What do you got for us? Yeah, so again, with with, with Quinn Ewers, this is a really interesting one because there's been a lot of reports that Quinn Ewers is going to consider going back to school. Which I get. He was supposed to be a first-round pick. If you don't know Ewer's background, he's some people call him the the second highest-rated recruit of all time. So he was a five-star recruit, but he was like a true five-star. Trevor Lawrence is the only other guy that's been graded as high as 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 uh, Quinn Ewer's was graded coming out of college, that uh, coming out of high school. That's it. Right. So this is a guy that came in with a massive pedigree, monster expectations. Look, he's been good. But Quinn Ewer's story wasn't supposed to end with him being a day two pick and fighting for for a starting quarterback job, you know, in admittedly. What happened exactly? What, why the drop? Because I am not familiar with his background. Um, I mean, he's gotten hurt. He, he he's gotten hurt the last two years. And, you know, last year when he played, he played well. This year it was kind of mixed results. I think that that game against Oklahoma hurt him. So. Mm-hmm. I understand him maybe wanting to go. He has the talent. And if he goes back to school next year in a weak quarterback class, he has a good year in 2024 at Texas or if he transfers. Yeah, he's going to be a first round pick. He'll have another shot of being a first round pick. The thing is, let's say, and I don't think he's going to become a first round pick based off what he does against Oklahoma State. But it's kind of like what I just said against with Michael Penix. He gets Texas this win and they sneak into the college football playoff and they play Georgia and he goes off against Georgia. People are going to look at that and say, all right, this is the Quinn Ewers we saw coming out of high school. This this is the first-round pick we expected. Now, all of a sudden, maybe the narrative changes, the stock changes. He's starting to hear from NFL teams that, oh, yeah, we would use a first-round pick on you, and boom, he comes out of school. The way I kind of yeah. phrased it, and this is a little tongue-in-cheek, can he convince himself to declare for mm-hmm. the draft? That's kind of what, what's okay. at stake for him. But the only way he's going to do that, the only way that happens is he wins this game and Texas gets in the college football playoff. And he's got to have a good mm-hmm. showing too. This is not a good Oklahoma State uh, defense. They got to this point by scoring a ton of points. Uh, I'm blanking on the running back's name, Ollie, one of the best running backs in the nation, not draft mm-hmm. eligible. He's a true sophomore, hence why I don't have his name off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that for yours, there is something on the line here, even if he's considering going back to school. Opportunities abound for yours. We'll see if he can actually capitalize. Next up, we got J.J. McCarthy in Michigan against Iowa. And we talked about this one earlier today uh, in the locker room. There's some pretty interesting context around this game if you want to fill in the audience. Yeah, so I was like, I was either having <laughs> the best disappointing season or the worst successful season in the history of maybe not just college football or football, but sports. Um so they they their offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz they had a they've had a really bad few years on offense, and coming into this year, Ferentz needed to score or or not Ferentz Iowa it could have been defensive points Iowa needed to score two hundred fifty points to for Ferentz to keep his mm-hmm. job or his contract was going to void. They're going to come up well short. Uh, they've played in a lot of close games. They are I think outside the top one hundred in scoring. They've only crossed the twenty point threshold I believe once. Four of their games have set the record for the lowest scoring total betting-wise in college football history. Last week against Nebraska, the total was 24 and a half. It hit. Uh, I had that. That was awesome. But, like, this is the kind of team we're talking about. Yet they're ranked and they're playing for the conference title because their defense is that good. So mm-hmm. Iowa winning the Big Ten would be hilarious. It You know, in a season that the fans hate, they might win the conference championship, which is the ultimate goal for – 
99% of college football teams, the college playoff is kind of like a cherry. Um, mm -hmm. And it might knock Michigan out of the playoffs. At the same time, for J.J. McCarthy, right? Here we go. Another good defense. A really good defense with NFL talents on the other side. Cooper DeGene, their number one corner. If he plays, I know he's banged up. Mm -hmm. um, he might actually be out for the season. I'm forgetting now. But, uh, yeah, no, it's this is another tough test for 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 J.J. McCarthy. And if he wants to show that he can lead an NFL team, you got to beat Iowa. You got to beat Iowa good. This game is a 23-and-a-half point spread. It's the biggest of any championship game. I don't know that I was allowing 24 points. Mm. The highest point total they've allowed all year was it was 27 or 31 to, to Penn State earlier in the year. They got it was a blowout, but Iowa doesn't allow a lot of points. So Vegas thinks JJ McCarthy can light up the scoreboard. We'll see. Uh, but it's another chance for him to kind of prove himself. Do you think he's gonna actually get the opportunity, or do you think Michigan's gonna play a little more conservative like they did a couple weeks ago and just be like, all right, we're we're gonna lean on our run game, we're gonna sprinkle you in every once in a while, or do you think they're gonna say, All right, you know, we have to maybe we may have to throw the ball just to make sure this is more competitive against good defense? How where do you see that going? It's it's tough to say just because they they've gone both ways. Mm -hmm. They took the ball out of his hands against Penn State. They put it in his hands a little more against Ohio State. I think it comes down to if it's close or not. Mm -hmm. I, I think they may try to if they can run the ball and get up a couple scores early, they'll keep running. If Iowa can show something on mm -hmm. offense, which I wouldn't count on it, or just their defense plays outstanding against the run, then yeah, they're gonna have to throw the ball. They're gonna have to do it. Yep. All right. Next up, we got Carson Beck in Georgia against Alabama. As we said, Jalen Milrow came up with a crazy win last week, so it should be a fun game. I was talking to your co-host, Brian, uh, about Carson Beck, and he was saying, like, this isn't just any, you know, run-in-the-mill Georgia quarterback that we usually think of where basically the, the team is carrying this guy who makes plays every once in a while, but he's not really the star. Because Carson Beck is kind of in a different category. What are your thoughts there, and how do you see this game playing out? Carson Beck's another really interesting one because he was like, he's a four-star recruit, but I, I, he wasn't a top 10 quarterback in his class. I, 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 don't worry. Right. The guy's not a scrub. He's not mm -hmm. coming out of nowhere. He's not a walk-on, but he's not. A lot of these guys were talking about may Williams, Bo Nix, even, even though he got there a little bit weird. These are like five star blue chip from the time they were sophomores in high school were highly recruited, you know, quarterbacks. That's not what Carson Beck is. And when he stepped in, the expectation was he was going to basically pick up where Stetson Bennett left off. He was going to be point guard, a distributor. He was just going to kind of be there and not mess up. Mm -hmm. And he was just going to kind of lead the offense. But you saw Brock Bowers miss time. Lad McConkey miss time. They're two best receivers. Yet the offense still produced. Mm -hmm. And Carson Beck was a big part of that. So, you see that happen. Those guys come back. The offense really starts clicking. And I'm like, all right, what's going on here? So you go, you take a closer look at Carson Beck, 6'4", 225, throws a great ball. Between his size, the way he throws the ball, the mechanics, the release point, he, he's throwing fastballs. He's throwing heaters. There's a ton of zip on the ball. He can get the ball down the field. Now, his accuracy isn't great, and that – comes with time he's not as accurate as you'd like him to be I, I i'm not gonna say he's unathletic but in the nfl he's a pocket passer mm -hmm. like he can move maneuver within the pocket and he'll make the first rush or miss if he if he sees him his his legs are never going to be a plus mm -hmm. it's just not his game but he the way you see him throw the ball okay this may work he still may be able to, 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 you know, play at that, at that pro level. So I don't know. Like, I, I don't think he's a first round pick. I don't think he's a top 50 pick. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's a, you know, an obvious potential franchise guy. Could he get there? Maybe down the road. I'm not going to say he can't, but like, that's not the kind of guy you're looking at, but he is, he, you know, he coming into the year, he was, nobody was talking about him for the draft. He's a redshirt junior. Everybody thought he was going back to school. Of course he would. Now it's like, all right, he's entering that fringe top 100 spot. He goes out, beats up on, on an Alabama defense that's playing you know, as well as any defense in the country right now. You're going to start hearing him talked about as like a day two guy, as a top 100 guy, somewhere in that 50 to 100 range. And 
you really don't have that guy in this draft. Those guys who are supposed to be the day two, you know, late day two, day three intermediate guys. There's another one we'll get to in a bit, but they've either ascended like Jaden Daniels mm -hmm. did. They're going back to school like we think Quinn Ewers is, or they fell off. Like guys like like DJ Uyunglele is a name that comes to mind there. Uh, well, KJ Jefferson entered the transfer portal. He was kind of supposed to be in that range. I'm I'm, I'm blanking on other names. I know there's a couple in there, but like you don't don't re, uh, uh, Cam Ward's probably going to rule. Joe mm -hmm. Milton sort of fell off, so you don't have that guy. Carson Beck can be that guy. Let's see what he does against Alabama. I'm not saying he's there mm -hmm. yet, but he does well against Alabama. They're going to go to the playoff one way or the other. Let's see what he does against one of these playoff teams. He's if the Patriots are going to do, are going to go, you know, wide receiver tackle to start the draft and just say, you know what? We're going to give back to us one more year. We're going to bring in a developmental guy. Carson Beck could kind of be that guy. I don't think his ceiling's that high. Like I think mm -hmm. he's the, and I know these names won't excite people, but you got to think of them as prospects, not what they are now. He has a chance to be like the Davis Mills or the Kyle Trask of this draft. Okay. If this was 15 years ago, we're talking about him as a potential first round pick because he's yeah. really good throwing the ball from the pocket. Doesn't do much beyond that. And you need to do that now, but he's a guy that's going to interest some NFL teams. The question is how much is it enough that he's willing to go to the draft instead of going back to school, big performance against Alabama. I think there's a good chance he enters the draft. And I think there's a good chance he goes in the top 100. And this does sound like a big opportunity because you talk about a guy who has great size, is an accurate, is a pocket passer. Like you said a little while ago, that's fine. We'll work on the accuracy. But now, you know, if you're not able to move and the accuracy is going to be a problem, then, OK, where exactly do we want to take you? And, yeah, we'll see how he does against Bama. All right. Last one of the previews before we get to a little bonus section a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we got Tulane and Michael Pratt against SMU. Now, I'm not very familiar with Michael Pratt. I don't watch a lot of Tulane football. I'm sorry. I see we do have some Tulane people in the chat, though, represent. Uh, but, yeah, break this one down for all of the uninitiated. Yeah, shout out Tulane. I love New Orleans. Uh, fun city. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't super familiar with Pratt either. Uh, I kind of did some more work on him this week. So the first thing you notice with Pratt, True senior four-year starter. Well, um, he start he took over four games into his freshman year at Tulane. He's been the starter the whole time. The last two years, Tulane's been a wagon. They've arguably been the best group of five team in college football. So that's like non-power five. Um, and you know, with Pratt, I think there's some things that stand out with that experience. He's made the most of that experience. He sees the field really well. I think he's a guy that's very comfortable in the pocket, uh, that sits really well in the pocket, throws a really accurate ball throws like he puts it on guys now down the field he doesn't quite have that downfield presence you're maybe looking mm -hmm. for and again, he's a better athlete than beck he can move around a little bit but he's not a guy i don't think is going to be like a plus plus you know you're not going to design the running game for him um i look at him again as a prospect i see a lot of bailey zappy now bailey zappy had the numbers of western kentucky because that was that mm -hmm. offense Pratt doesn't quite have those numbers, but you know, he can get back, make the read, get the ball out quick, deliver the football. And as a high end backup potential, you know, bridge starter in the NFL, like I think kind of, he's in that again, him and Beck are, are he's kind of a little more low floor, a uh, high floor, low ceiling option to what Car uh, Carson Beck is. But some people are going to really like him because they're going to see a guy that's, that's played a lot of ball that, you know, it has that high football IQ and throws the ball where the coaches want to throw. And some teams may look at that and say, Hey, you know, we can make this work. We'll go out, we'll get a good mm -hmm. tight end, good intermediate receiving tight end, put a running back behind him. It's not like the JJ McCarthy, Bo next thing where like, he's just going to be a distributor. You really need like pieces around him, but there might be some teams that look at him and say, we're going to bring him in. He's going to be very valuable in the room because he's played a lot of football. He has that high football IQ and we will see what he can turn into. But at the very worst, we would trust giving the offense to him if we're in a spot where we need a backup for three or four games or something like that. So I know that doesn't sound like much. It's quarterback. Those guys still go in the top 100, definitely in the top 150, mm -hmm. sometimes in the top 100. And again, you don't really have, you have Caleb Williams is in tier one. Drake Mays in like, halfway between tier one and tier two with Jane Daniels. They're kind of passing each other. You have the, the, the Penix, Bo Nix group. 
JJ McCarthy's mm. a wild card. And then that's kind of it. And, and then you have these two and then a bunch of day three guys. So if somebody doesn't want to invest a premium pick in a quarterback, but doesn't want a guy that's a total flyer either. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that in this case, again, to put them together, Beck is certainly one of those guys. And I think Michael Pratt's a guy, different quarterback, but a guy's that that's going to be in that window as well. So I don't know, like for the Patriots, these two guys to me, I don't know that either of these guys are the pick is like you're giving to us the future of the franchise, but if they want to try another year with Mac and just have a better plan B than Bailey Zappi or just a new plan B, or if they want to do the, you know, Washington RG three, Kirk cousins thing, one in the first one in the fourth, fourth might be a little low. Maybe they move up or maybe one of these guys falls, but like, I think these are the guy I've seen a lot of people ask about the RG3 Kirk Cousins thing. Could the Patriots do that? And look, they may need a new backup. Bailey Zappi comes out this week and sucks, and it's like, all right, he's not the guy. You may need a draft starter and a backup. It's not ideal both those guys are rookies, but I think these are the guys, however you want to frame it, Beck and Pratt are the guys you're looking at kind of in that range. And when you Although need Beck, some- sorry, Beck, Beck could maybe move up if, if he you know, really plays well next couple games, could potentially move up into that next year, but I don't think... I'm talking about like, you know, 400 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. Right. I'm saying if you need the deep cuts, if you need the quarterbacks behind the quarterbacks, everybody else is talking about, you come to the show and you come to Alex Barth. And in the next section, we're going to be previewing some guys who aren't quarterbacks. Some of the best players who are draft eligible that we're going to be seeing this weekend in these championship games. All right, so like I said, to close out, some of the guys that are going to be playing and are draft eligible uh, who are going to be playing this weekend and should be on your radar. First up, we got a couple big boys out of Georgia. Alex, who you got? Yeah, so again, I, I just remind people, like, it's not a lock. The Patriots are going to take a quarterback, and these are some of these are like, look, especially the SEC championship, right? You want to know the, dra- the draft eligible players to watch? Look at the depth chart. It's all of them. But... <laughs> These are the, you know, first round picks you want to get yourself familiar with. Uh, from Georgia, Brock Bowers, the tight end we've talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. Real do-it-all tight end. There's a reason he's drawn comparisons to Gronk. I think it might be a little early for that stuff, but um, he can catch. He can run routes. He's good with the ball in his hands. He can block. You know, he's going to be a top 10 pick. And then Amarius Mims is, is their starting mm-hmm. tackle, I think, with Mims. If the Patriots don't go alter for Sean, but we talked about this thing where they maybe trade down a little bit and trade back up into the first round. Uh, Amarius Mims is a guy that is going to be, and we'll talk about another guy that's going to be in this conversation as well, but Amarius Mims is a guy you're going to potentially talk about that sort of situation. Six, seven, three forty. He's mostly played on the right side for Georgia, but probably, mm-hmm. you know, if you maybe bring him along as a left tackle. Um, so for all you tackle people, if, if it's not, alter for Shanu and they might go a little lower. Uh, well, again, so if, if it's not, you know, if you want them to take a quarterback or take Marvin Harrison Jr. and still get a first round tackle, Marius Mims is, is one potential option that we'll be playing this week. And there's another guy in this game, uh, Taylor from Alabama's JC Latham. Mm-hmm. Latham right now is ranked a little higher. He's a fringe top 10 pick. So this one may be a bit of a stretch if they're going to do trade down, trade up. But uh, Latham's just an absolute mauler. I mean, he is a Patriots tackle through and through he is a is yeah. six six three sixty uh plays <laughs> oh I, I, I assume I, look I, I bet he's a very nice kid plays like an a-hole plays with a mean streak we love that he won't let guys get his hands on their hands on him um yeah I'm gonna his I actually think there's a chance we talked about guys kind of jumping tears right uh so there's Alton mm-hmm. Fashano at the top Latham, it would not surprise me if he works his way into that group. And we're talking about three elite tackles instead of two. I don't know that we're there right now, but I think there's a real possibility we could get there. So maybe Latham's a little unrealistic instead of in terms of the, the trade down, trade up. But definitely, guy, if you, if you want the Patriots to take a tackle in the first round, this is a guy you should know about. Yeah, I feel every single draft podcast show, whatever, everybody's like, there's a ton of good tackles. Like, we're going to see more tackles going in the first round than we have in a long time. Uh, it feels like maybe not now more than ever, you know, you're not finding athletic left tackles all over the place, Uh, but it feels like there's a pretty desperate need all over the league. Um, And I'm really curious about these guys, because like you said, they're both right tackles. Patriots, 
God willing, are going to re-sign Mike Nwenu, and he's your right tackle. So I am curious if these are guys who can switch over to the left side and be just as good just because they fit the mold of a Patriots right tackle. Ginormous guys who can just move people and be assets in the ground game. But these guys also have the athleticism where they can hold up well in pass protection. So I'm really curious how that's going to go. While we're already on Alabama, let's go with Dallas Turner. Give us a little preview on him, the edge rusher. Yeah, so we, I mean, look. Alabama edge rushers. It's, it's one of the spots and they're known for a lot of spots producing a ton of talent, but this guy stepped into Will Anderson's role. They, they had two of them last year. It was really unbelievable, but real chance. I think Dallas Turner to be the first defensive player off the board in this draft. And look, we can't rule out, especially if Bill Belichick comes back, them taking defense first with their, with their first pick. And Josh Uche is going to be gone. Anthony Jennings might be gone. Matthew Judon's in his thirties entering last year's contract coming off an injury. Uh, they need an edge rusher. I'm not saying they should use their first mm-hmm. pick on it, but if they feel that way, Dallas Turner's a hell of a player. That he mm-hmm. he looks like like Will Anderson. Like he clearly learned a lot from Will Anderson. They're similar guys, freak athletes, very flexible, high motor. Like a- anything you want from an edge rusher, Dallas Turner is going to give you. So a- another guy to watch, and I just think we'll see how much they move around a little bit. We'll see how much he lines up on Amarius Mims because that's mm-hmm. one of those spots where like when you go, if Amarius Mims can put out good tape against Dallas Turner, you're going to look at that and say, here's what he's doing against the guy who's probably going to be a stud in the NFL. Like how does he hold up in that matchup? I think that pairing specifically, again, we'll see how much it happens. They move their front around a little bit, but Dallas Turner on Amarius Mims is certainly a matchup to watch when we get it. Yeah, and the Patriots at edge position is a much more glaring area of need that people realize. You mentioned yeah. Judon. You got Josh Uche, who did suffer an injury, but like really hasn't been the force that you would hope from somebody who is strictly a pass rusher pretty much. Sometimes drops in the coverage, sometimes plays run. But really, that's his bread and butter. And you've seen what happened to the Patriots pass rush once Matt Judon went out. So and edge rushers are one of the highest paid positions in football. So if you can get one of those guys on a rookie contract as well as like a quarterback and a receiver or a tackle – you're in good shape, so definitely want to look for. Now we're going to go to FSU with two guys who are freak athletes at the receiver position, but one is a wide receiver and one is more of an athlete. Tell us about Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. So Keon Coleman is in the conversation for that wide receiver two spot behind Marvin Harrison Jr., and it's really going to come down to, I'm going to combine a couple of games we're going to talk about here, Coleman, Roma Dunze, and then Malik Neighbors, who's not playing this weekend, but he's also in the conversation. Like, who is the wide receiver too? I think it's a bit of a flavor thing. I think they're all very good mm-hmm. players. What do you want? Keon Coleman is, we were talking earlier, there's, there's some DeAndre Hopkins in his game. Like, he's at his core. He's a big body, true X, jump ball, 50-50 receiver. But he's more athletic than most of those guys are. He's a guy that has an ability to create after the catch with the ball in his hands. He's a better route runner than you'd expect. Uh, I think Roma Dunze, you want a technician. You want a guy that's going to run excellent routes. You want a guy that, that reads the ball really well at the catch point. You want a guy that can get himself open with route running and body control. That's Roma Dunze. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Stefan Diggs watching him. Mm-hmm. I think kind of similar players. Or do you just want an athlete? Do you want the guy that can run the fastest, jump the highest, is, you know, has the most agility? Uh, just the guy that you're going to mold, right? That's Malik Neighbors from LSU. Uh, so that whole battle is kind of playing out through, through these, Mm -hmm. you know, these next couple games and we'll see if neighbors plays in the bowl game. I'm curious. I like, I'm curious to ask you, I I don't know how much you've watched, um, Coleman, just cause I don't know how much you watched, uh, um, Jordan Travis, who unfortunately obviously is out for the area that that serious leg injury, like where you're at with those three guys and, and specifically for the Patriots. Cause like I want to do and say, I want the Patriots to get their own Stefan Diggs Cause we've seen what Stefan Diggs can do for a quarterback yeah. off the field stuff, JC brother J- tweeting aside. Right. <laughs> um, right. You know, like you said, w- what he did to JC Jackson, but I'm, I'm, I'm really curious where you are on it. Cause I feel like I, I love seeing how people break down the wide receiver two conversation. Cause I, I, everybody I read has a slightly different take on it. It's really fascinating to me. Yeah, so I think Rome, like I think we talked about it, he reminds me of DeAndre Hopkins, like just because he's that guy who can stick at X and he can, you know, he can win one on one. Or uh, Coleman. Uh, well, I honestly kind of both. So 
They're a little okay. different. So with Rome, I think he's like the DeAndre Hopkins type where you stick him in X and you want him to win one-on-one. But you can also put him in the slot if you're an empty or something like that where you can create some other matchups just because he's so good technically and also has the physical gifts. Keon Coleman, honestly, reminds me of Nikhil Harry. And I think part of it's like the size <laughs> – no, but like, you okay, no, I'm sorry. Nikhil, for every Patriots fan. I know it's a Harry, as a prospect, but. Right. And like Nikhil Harry, if he was who he thought he was, like at the speed okay, that you yeah. saw when he was really doing great in college, if that translated to the NFL or it was just, you know, he actually had it to begin with. That's what reminds me of because you see the putt returning skills from Keon Coleman. That was one of the things where I'm like, okay, you can use this guy in different ways. And then the work at the catch point, like whatever you want to say about Nikhil, he was always dominant at the catch point. He didn't get a lot of opportunities because of the Patriots scheme. If you go back and look at like his deep targets, you're not seeing it like go off his hands or anything. Like he had the size and he won those battles. But I think Keon Coleman is someone, and again, like this is why I don't want to get too deep in the weeds because I haven't studied these guys enough to just give confident takes where I'm like, this is who he is. But in the games that I've seen, it's just the ability to catch point, the athleticism, the explosiveness, and the size. They're the things that you were sold on with Nikhil Harry, where he's not just, you know, this guy who's great before and at the catch point. He can also make stuff happen with the ball in his hands. I think that's really exciting. I feel like after the catch stuff, maybe, from what I've seen, he might have the edge on Rome. But again, could definitely study more. Um, and then who else were we mentioning? Um, well, I guess. The Florida State guys real quick on, on mm-hmm. uh, Coleman and then Johnny Wilson, who you talked about. Johnny Wilson's a really interesting player. He's 6'7", 240, supposedly ran a 4'4", in high school. So you look at it and you're like, this guy's bigger than a tight end. He's faster than most wide receivers. Why isn't he in the conversation? Uh, he can't catch. He's had a massive problem with drops this year. So, you know, can you coach that out of him? Maybe, but he's still a fascinating player. I think Florida State's in this really interesting position where they're undefeated. If they beat Louisville, they'll be an, an unbeaten conference champion that should probably get in but they're on a backup quarterback. Well, the committee put them in at risk of a bad game. Mm. And I, I, I think uh, no disrespect. I'm blanking on his name to, to Florida state's backup quarterback, but he's not Jordan Travis. And I think these wide receivers and, and really every, the tight end, Jaheim bell, who's a projected top 100 pick Trey Brett Benson's their running back. He's going to be one of the first running backs off the board this year. They've got to show that they make the offense go. And I think it's really on Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson to carry against a good Louisville defense to carry this team into that college football playoff spot. Yep. And while we're on the topic of receivers, we might as well get to Troy Franklin. I feel like yeah. he's going to remind people of Taekwon because he's tall, he's thin, and he's He reminds fast. me of Taekwon. Right. But here's the thing. He's actually elusive. Like what Taekwon never had was that you give him a bubble screen and he's going to like make guys miss. That was never him. It's more you give him a lane and he'll explode through it. But he wasn't one of those guys who was going to beat you horizontally or like really twitched up. And additionally, he didn't have the same prowess, I think, against press coverage where you don't want Troy Franklin living outside for sure, but he's more competitive in those situations than a Tyquan Thornton. Um, I haven't watched his route running closely enough, so I don't want to compare them in that vein. But if you're talking about, like, at the very least, a gadget guy who or at least you, like, scheme touches for him and kind of make his life easier, I think you're going to get much more out of Troy Franklin than you are currently getting or even could possibly get out of a Tyquan Thornton, as well as having the vertical ability. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on him and where where, you know, where the differences are and just as him as his own player, where he stands. I worry about, again, just for the Patriots, you know, that, that thin, lanky, speedy receiver, let somebody else develop. Let, let's on Troy Franklin. That's where I'm at with the Patriots. I agree. They just, By the way, I agree. <laughs> they just tried with this guy. I, I think, you know, to me, if you're in that range of the draft and, and I, I, we can add some of the Texas guys here too. We're kind of in that next tier, late first round, early second round receivers. Xavier Worthy from Texas, who yes is tall and skinny, but I just I think he's a much better player than Troy Franklin. Is I he's such a good route runner. He's so good at the catch point. A. D. Mitchell also from Texas is you know six four two sixteen. He is that true X guy that transferred from Georgia. Has some that SEC pedigree. Go after like again to go back to 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 Worthy. We're I feel like Troy Franklin wins with his speed. He can do other mm-hmm. things, but he has to win with his speed. And those guys, especially coming from the Pac-12, which is the slowest conference, as Evan Lazar will tell you, they they have trouble tra- translating to the NFL. Whereas Worthy can win with his quickness. He can win with his route running. Uh, uh, Mitchell can win with his release. He can win with his size. He can win with his strength. Those are the kind of guys I want to see the Patriots investing in. I don't need just yeah. the true burst burner 
They just did that, and it didn't work. And honestly, I don't know about that guy. I think that guy's a really good number two or three. I think if your number one receiver is going to win on speed primarily, he either has he has to be Tyreek Hill. Like, he has yeah. to be so freaking And even Tyreek doesn't just win with speed. It's that his right. speed is insane, but, like, even he's not an actual one-trick pony. So, I, I don't think Troy, shocker, hot take, I don't think Troy Franklin's Tyreek Hill. I don't. I don't think he's 6-3 Tyreek Hill. So, uh, yeah, let, let another team take a shot on him. Totally fair. All right, we're going to go back to Washington with our last player, Braylon Trice. Edge rusher, what do we got? Big time, like, like, assuming it's the current Patriots making the pick, like big time Patriots draft pick. Three down, stout, edge setting, no nonsense, bull rushing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, kind of reminds me, kind of reminds me Keon White. I think he's more polished. Mm. Uh, then so Keon White, right, was a tight end moved over. I, I think Braylon tries a better prospect coming from a better program, more polished at the position. Um, more experience, all of that, but just like a big, imposing presence on the edge. Probably, a, a, I don't want to say he's a better athlete than Keon White, but like he's quicker. He's He can be more of that backside pass rusher if you need him to be. That's probably not his ideal role in the NFL, mm -hmm. but I look at what he does against the run. I look at what he does as an imposing presence. Um, he, I don't really know where the Patriots pick him because he's supposed to be a mid-first-round pick, so I just don't know how that fits in their plans, but... You never know. And hey, he, if you like watching offensive linemen get bullied, if you like watching offensive linemen get their lunch handed to them, uh, you'll enjoy watching Braylon Trice. So maybe not as much for Patriots, one of some of these other guys, but you, if you want to have fun watching the game, uh, check out number eight. You might enjoy yourself. I do think, honestly, the Patriots, I mean, it's it's so hard to project, like, who is a good fit or not because we don't know who's going to be running this team next year. Um, but in terms of, like, those big, like, stout guys who can really play all three downs, I think, like, Keon White is, he has that potential, hasn't quite lived up to it yet. Obviously, that was, like, the whole thing with him. And then you think of, like, a Dietrich Wise who, you know, he can play every down, he has the scheme versatility, but he's also getting up there in age and is a guy where yeah. you'd like to have somebody who could probably take over and kind of be in that role. Oh, Sam Roberts also there as well, but not the same pedigree of player. But I think this is our longest show yet. I had a blast. Thank you so much, Alex. Uh, what do you got coming out this week? Let the people know. I'll have a, I don't know when it's dropping because there's going to be a video element with it. We got to get done. I will have a championship weekend mm. breakdown just like this. Uh, we'll get into some of the top quarterbacks, some of the top uh, other players, some of the not top players at some of these programs. There's a corner from Toledo everybody should know about. Um, and I'll also have some army Navy preview stuff. If people want to start getting into that, uh, went to the press conference today and, uh, mm -hmm. you want to talk about football guys, the way the coaches talked about this game is really fun. So I'll have something on that too. And catch 22 tomorrow with Evan Lazar. Great stuff as always from you, buddy. Thank you so much. Once again, thank you all so much for watching. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. 